0: Hi and welcome to another edition of Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. And today you'll meet Fenella Souter and we'll talk about her book out now through Alan and Unwin called How to Fake Being Tidy and Other Things My Mother Never Taught Me. Fenella is well known as a columnist and contributor for The Good Weekend, also for uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and many other publications and uh, some of the stuff that's in this book has been published before uh, but uh, is now collated and put together in what is a really entertaining and fun read. I think you'll really enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy hearing uh, Fenella talk about putting it all together too. How to fake being tidy and other things my mother never taught me. We'll get to that in a tick but firstly a reminder about our terrific sponsors here on this podcast. It is CSCG they are the people you should talk to. Uh, whatever it is in your financial world that you uh, need to talk to, whether it's accounting, taxation situations, lending, whatever it is, they uh, are the people that you need to talk to because they know what they're doing. Uh, 9974 8333 is their number. Uh, you can also jump on the website, have a look at uh, what the, the services they offer, the people they are, the people that you'll deal with, all there cscg.com.au. There's nothing fake about them, but there is something fake about our book this week. It's How to Fake Being Tidy and Other Things My Mother Never Taught Me by Fenella Souter, and she joins me now. Welcome to Authorised, and congratulations on uh, your book. Thank you, Kevin. How long did it take to put together? I know it's been kind of published in in some... uh, Some of it's been published elsewhere before, but how long did it take you to kind of collate the whole thing?
1: Oh, well, longer than I thought it was going to take, I have to say. And I had a column in the Sydney Morning Herald called Diary of, ba- of a Bad Housewife, and that was written under my domestic pseudonym of Dusty Miller. Right. You know, some of the pieces are from there, and some are pieces I've written for Good Weekend. I'm a, I've am been a feature writer and, and a former editor of Good Weekend, so some of them were sort of taken from there, the, the one about losing my mother, which was, you know, it's sort of Slightly at odds, I suppose, with some of the funnier pieces in the book. But I kind of wanted that in there as a part of it is sort of the arc of a life, you know, in the scenes through a sort of domestic um, window in a way. But sort of the things that happen to us in the neighborhood or at home. And I think, you know, home is sort of where we are our true selves in many ways.
0: So we all finish up saying at some stage in our life, oh, I, I sound like my mother or, oh, God, I sound like my father. Do you, does that, I mean, given that the book's called How to Fake Being Tidy and Other Things My Mother Never Taught Me, do you find yourself being your mother sometimes?
1: <laughs> well, not in that way because, know yeah, my mother wasn't, she wasn't a great cook and she wasn't a great housekeeper. And I don't say that in a derogatory way. She yeah. just wasn't particularly interested in those things. And I think also, you know, she came from a generation where that was really the only option for women and and it wasn't an option she wanted to take. So I think there was a bit more resistance to going down that path, whereas I was always, I don't know why, but even as a child I had this sort of fascination with like the handy hints page in the newspaper. And I always liked to cook. I started as a teenager sort of getting these, um, they had these magazines, Cordon Bleu magazines, that came out from England. Um, so you know, Mum was sort of making chops and three veg, and I was making chicken Veronique. You know, so it was just yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. a bit of, yeah. You know, the funny thing is now, yeah, then I'm now actually older than my mother ever was. So, because um, she died when I was a teenager. Yeah. So that's sort of strange as well. Uh, I don't know whether I've become like her or not.
0: You uh, you describe uh, sort of uh, looking after a house as keeping chaos at bay on a daily basis, and it really is, isn't it?
1: Well, it certainly is for me. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I, do know very, <laughs> <laughs> I do know some very orderly people and, and this is why I've called the book How to Fake Being Tidy because I do know some, some people who are genuinely tidy and I think, you know, the knack there is to actually do put everything away straight away, not think, oh, I'll just sit down and read the London Review of books or oh, I'll just, you know, watch something on Netflix. Yeah. You, they sort of deal with, they never let it get to a chaotic state, but I think most of us um, it's a matter of quickly tidying up before the visitors arrive,
0: isn't it? Yeah, my mother had a, an expression called a clean mess. She said, I don't mind a clean mess. I, don't, I won't tolerate a dirty mess. So if it was you know, actually grubby, that was that need to be addressed. But if it was just a clean mess, like it was just some clothes that hadn't been folded like or whatever, around, that was fine. That, that You kind of yeah. chucked chuck them in a in a basket or something and, and the, the people who were visiting wouldn't see them and that was fine. That's right, yeah,
1: a closed door or something like that. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, some mess, means life is going on, doesn't it? You know, I think if it's it's sort of antiseptically, you know, like a hospital thing, you're not living then. Well, there's that thing when you
0: walk into someone's house that is pristine, that you're not going to touch anything, do anything, sit anywhere or breathe.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's not comfortable. And to me, that's that's really what good housekeeping is about. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a women's, women's job, of course. It's about making a place that is comfortable for people to be in, where you... You know, you walk in and it feels nice. There's a sort of maybe there's some flowers or something done nicely, or there's great food, and you want to be there. Yeah, uh, that's that's what it's about.
0: Now you've fessed up about a lot of things about yourself in the in the context of this book as you go through it. I mean, you're a, you're, I you're a serial returner. You're known as the great returner. So things things don't you don't hang on to things if you get them home and you don't want them, you take them back.
1: I know. I'm thankful that having written that chapter now under my own name, I'm going to, you know, my my picture's (laughs) going to be stuck up on all (laughs) shops. Beware this woman. Um, Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think, you know, like a lot of these stories, I've tried to, to write about something small, you know, the sort of topic itself is small, but of course it raises larger and deeper issues. And for that one, I think, well, why is it that I buy things and then I don't like them and I have to take them back? Is it my fear of commitment you know that I sort of can't commit to something is it my lack of confidence in my own judgment I don't know but even analyzing all that hasn't stopped me being like that I'm afraid.
0: Um, but the, uh, there's some lovely stories there's uh, some really funny stuff in the, in the book uh, the cat stories are fantastic I, I think the, the fact that, that you got done it with a substitute cat when you had a house sitter is just a, a re- really very funny story.
1: <laughs> yeah well that cat you know our cat. I mean, he's always been a rather haughty cat, thuggish, some of my friends have called him. But um, he, yeah, we were away. Usually we had a sort of regular friend who used to come and house sit, but we couldn't get her this time. And we were away for three weeks, but we got the house sitter through one of those um, house sitting sites. But what I didn't realize was that she wasn't going to be home all day. I just sort of assumed she didn't work for some crazy reason. So, you know, the cat, Nemo, wasn't used to that. He's he sort of like 24-7 attention. So when we came back, yeah, he just. I saw the neighbour and she said, Oh, yeah, your cat's been coming into our place. You know, he sleeps on the sofa. And then I saw another neighbour and she said, Oh, yeah, yeah, but yet yeah, that cat, he's lovely. Yeah, he's been. So, you know, I figured out that he had about four households going, uh, yeah. all looking after him. Yeah. <laughs> and then he only sort of deigned to come back here for about five minutes every day now. So he's kind of lost to us.
0: There's an expression you use in the book that a lot of people would actually wonder if it still exists, and that's modern etiquette.
1: Yes. Does it I think really, exist? Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, I think people, sort of older people, despair of the way things are going, the way nobody, you know. But, you know, I think now people don't respond to emails or I have known people who have applied for jobs, they never hear back one way or the other, you know, and I think that's really discourteous and, and rude. Modern etiquette about, I have got a whole chapter on the hostess gift, you know, is that still a thing? Because you might remember there was a time when people used to take after dinner mints to a, a dinner party or something and think that was a terribly sophisticated gift. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, and now, you know, I do know people who take, you know, like six different things, you know, be flowers and there'll be sort of some um, sherry vinegar and some beautiful olive oil and this and that. And it's sort of raising the bar quite high for the rest of us. So you can't just sort of take a. Box of Ferrera or share or something. It's going to be something good, mm. but you know, I don't know what the boundaries are. There may be some people don't take anything at all. I think a bottle of wine—that's what I expect guests to bring to my house.
0: Well, yeah, which kind of it ticks all the boxes because it's it's something that you're sharing with the other person because they're sharing their house with you. I would have thought that was that's kind of how my logic works on that.
1: Yeah, that's fine, isn't it? But I think some people feel, and this is another thing I've looked at, sort of gifts, you know, Christmas gifts and other gifts. Some people have a difficulty receiving, I think, so they feel they sort of have to overcompensate by bringing too many things themselves because yep. they can't, they don't feel comfortable. So, you know, there's a lot of the, that sort of psychology going on, I think. Yeah.
0: In that modern etiquette thing, there's also a lovely chapter about people who, you know, ask if they can bring their dog to dinner.
1: Oh, yes. Very controversial one this. Um, I don't really have a position on that. And because we have a cat, it's not really an issue because Nemo did once attack a dog. So now I can just say, look, sorry, don't, you know, best not to bring the dog because something nasty could happen.
0: can lock up, yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, But this, yeah, this happened with a friend of mine and and her problem was she doesn't particularly, you know, she doesn't particularly like dogs, but she doesn't hate them, but she's also allergic to them. So, you know, any sort of pet hair sets her off in terrible sort of sneezing and whatnot. And these guests said, you know, can we bring the dog? And she didn't know what to say, really, because they said, oh, you know, if the dog's not invited, then we wouldn't really feel welcome. <laughs> so it's, but we do live in a very dog friendly time. Yeah. So as it's, as it's, you, difficult. as you
0: point out in the book, they've gone from being a pet to now being a companion.
1: That's right. And, you know, it's a brave person who'll speak out about not bringing, you know, say, no, you can't bring the dog or you can't do this because. They are now seen as yours, like a baby, really. Like you mm. wouldn't leave the baby at home, they won't leave the dog at home.
0: Yeah. Um, the Chucking other people's stuff out and cleaning other people's houses. So tell us about uh, the the encounters with that, uh, which are in this book.
1: Well, I, I went round to a friend's house and she, you know, it was quite a large house and she had, you know, raised her children there in a family. And then she was downsizing to an apartment. And so she had to get rid of a whole lot of stuff. But I knew she wouldn't want to because. You know, it's hard to throw out your own things, isn't it, because you've got all these associations with things. So I knew if I went round, I'd be able to be totally ruthless. But we did have quite a lot of sort of argy-bargy about what could go and what could stay, including a whole lounge suite that she actually didn't like but was hanging on to because it had been given to her by her grandfather who'd built it in the Depression Uh, and had all sorts of memories. And I said, well, do you like it? She said, no. I said, is it comfortable? She said, not really. I said, is it going to fit in the new flat? She said, no, oh, I don't think so. So, said, well, maybe you could, you know, sell it. She said, no, no, no. <laughs> so she still
0: got it. Yep. Mind <laughs> yeah. Mind you, this is coming from you who tried to cull your cookbooks, didn't you? And you had 50-something and you only threw out three of them.
1: Well, that's true. I did say it's easier to other people's thinking. Yes, it. yes. No, <laughs> I'm not very really yes. good at my own. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> is... I need someone to come around here and do it for me.
0: What about cleaning cleaning other people's houses?
1: Ooh, well, that's another ethic. You know, there are quite a few sort of deep ethical issues in this book. Yes, um, there are. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and they could make or break friendships. Yeah, well, this one, I I was at somebody's house and, and they lived alone, so, you know, you can live how you like when you live alone really. But there'd always been a few little niggling things. I thought, Oh, I'd love to get my hands on those, you know, gravy stains on the door or whatever. And for some reason I'm always a lot cleaner and tidier in other people's houses. So I thought, Oh look it'd be nice for her to come back in the place to be really, you know, gleaning and shiny and lovely. So I started cleaning but then about halfway through I just thought, oh, maybe I'm overstepping the mark here and how do people feel about that, you know, having will will she feel judged? Will she feel I'm sort of sending some kind of message about her being a a messy or dirty person? (laughs) Um, Or will she just see it as a generous gesture, which is, of course, what I meant it as?
0: Yes, but
1: fortunately, she didn't even notice. She just thought she would left
0: it like that. So <laughs> <laughs> that was good. The the lovely thing about the book for me is that uh, there's so many things in this that I can relate instantly to because I to certain stages I become a list maker, or I've decided that I'll I'll I found, saw this book, you know, highly efficient to clean people, to, and and adopted that. Oh, I'll do that. Uh, and you've got <laughs> you've gone through all those processes, and it's 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 part of the human vernacular, really, isn't it? That we do those things and we think that's going to change. Something and generally, it, in the end, it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's some—it's it, some sort of need in us or desire at some point, often fleeting, to have control and order and the kind of calm that comes with it. And I think we think, right, we just make a list, then we'll be totally on top of everything, or you know, we'll just make the beds every day, then everything will be fine. And of course, it does help to a degree, um, and I think it does make you feel calmer if things are a little bit orderly. I did try doing the list because I'm not a natural list maker, but the trouble was then I'd forget where I'd left the list or I wouldn't look at the list. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really work. Yep.
0: Yeah. I must say there's one one uh, terrific tip uh, in the in the how to make a bed part, the, the ironing of quilts, uh, having them on the bed and just getting an extension cord on the iron and ironing them on the, that's a bloody ripping idea.
1: That's a brilliant idea, is Yes, my friend who's, who ran a, a sort of little hotel told me that and that's brilliant because you're not resting the thing on the ironing board, it's just there. Yep. And it's all done. And you can also do the top of the sheet as well and yep. make everything look very hotel It's a
0: great tip. Personally, I think ironing boards are some form of uh, medieval torture thing that they used to use <laughs> that they've just just left hanging around to, to annoy the hell out of us. One thing you did champion and I can't understand, well, you didn't sort of champion it but you, you described it perfectly, the Choco, the humble Choco yes. get, gets a mention. Now, oh, yes. now, you beautifully remember it, as I do, as being the vine that used to cover the outside dunny, and that's what it was really good for.
1: Yeah, much better than eating in my book. But yes. I don't know. I mean, you might be a fan of the Choco. No. You so Kevin. But
0: no, because my mother used to boil them within an inch of their lives, and they didn't taste like anything I'd ever sort of had in my mouth before. No,
1: they're kind of like clag glue, if you remember that. They're like sort of pa- eating paste, aren't they? You exactly. know, The, the texture no flavour. The texture is not very good. But they were a popular pickle thing, I think, because you could sort of bulk out a pickle with them. Yes, so it's a bit of a bit of a dead loss, I think. Yeah. The old I'm, cocoa.
0: I'm, I'm not. I'm not sad that they've gone to wherever they've gone to. To be honest,
1: <laughs> so you don't see them much anymore.
0: Uh, the other one that, that I found and I found really fascinating is your uh, your dental experience. Oh
1: yeah. Well, you, you're right. I am revealing a lot about myself yes, here. Yes, sure you are. <laughs> Well, you know, that that happened one morning. I was just looking in the bathroom mirror, and that's fine, but usually I don't have my reading glasses on, but I did this day. And suddenly my teeth, I thought, oh, my God, look, that chip's still there, and this one's graying, and, you know, these ones are sort of at an angle and so on. Now, because there's all these cosmetic dentistry things, and they advertise everywhere, you know, the beautiful smile, the sporty smile, so on. So just as a sort of investigation, really, I went to a few of them. But the first one, he looked around everything and, you know, did this sort of horror show examination of all my teeth. And then he came back with sort of about three pages of things that he thought should be done. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. And I said, well, how much would all that be? He said, mm, let me see. Here. Um, $29,570. <laughs> <laughs> thought, no, I don't think so. No. But, you know, people are having... Quite drastic treatments on their teeth, and people with quite good teeth are having them all veneered or something. So, anyway, I just got the chip fixed and a few other little things, and it's fine. Yeah, you know, we can obsess about these things. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Hey, one of the most important parts of any person's house, and one that is of great mystery and uh, and sometimes the uh, the unknown uh, lurks in there somewhere, is the pantry.
1: Oh yes, are you a ordered pantry person?
0: Uh, at times, yes, but then then when we do a pantry clean-out, which, you know, COVID gave us everybody the opportunity to find all sorts of things in their life they hadn't done for a long time that they should do, we cleaned ours out and I found stuff in there. I went, oh, this is ridiculous, A, that I bought it, and B, that I – why is it still in here with a used-by date of 2005?
1: <laughs> exactly. And there's always at least, like, 20 cans of tin tomatoes. I find that's a thing that you either have none of or you have way too many of yeah well, I love cleaning at the pantry because you know it, it like all these cleaning jobs, and this is what I say too that you know they are they can be very pleasurable, sort of reordering something or especially if you're messy to start with because then the difference is so great that you know the pleasure is all that much greater. I do know people who cook the same kind of food you know the same style of food, and their pantries are quite orderly, whereas mine will have sort of like a jar of date molasses which I've taken a teaspoon of. You know, and it's like five hundred mils of state yeah. molasses, yeah. things like that. So, because I do a lot of different cuisines, and so my pantry is a bit chaotic. I could do with
0: the clean right now. My my wife bakes, so there's sort of three shelves on the in the pantry that have got all the baking stuff in, it. and that's like for me that just looks like a mad woman's breakfast. Whereas the the bit down the bit down the bottom where I put the cans of whatever, it looks like you know someone who's got their actually got their act together.
1: Well, it depends a bit on the room you've got, too. Like my pantry's quite small, so everything's sort of jumbled and half-footed in the dark. It was very badly designed, I now realise. But, yeah, I'd love to have one of those walk-in pantries like Nigella oh, like yeah. Lawson has. That'd
0: be great. I'd love one of those, Everything too. Everything
1: labelled, yeah.
0: So when you finish the book, when you sit down, you've launched it now and it's, it's out and about. So where do you, where do you think you sit in, in the scheme of things? Are you a domestic goddess? Are you a domestic icon? Or are you a work in progress?
1: I'd say I'm a work in progress. Uh, on, the, on most of the domestic front. I am a very good cook. I, 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 don't, I say that without false modesty because other people have attested to it. So I'm pretty good on the cooking front. But I'm still – and this is what I set out to do, I suppose, for the book. I wanted to know how – you know, I remember going to a friend of mine's house and I was a bit under the weather at the time. I think I was a bit jet lagged. I just arrived sort of from another country. And, you know, I was changing jobs and I was just feeling very sort of frazzled. And she just put me in this beautiful spare room, you know, flowers arranged, freshly, you know, uh, fresh linen on the bed, uh, comfortable quilts, pillows. I just thought, yeah, there's something so soothing about a well-run house, you know, something that it was so comforting. And I thought, how does she do that? You know, how do you sort of get that well-oiled machine? So that was sort of what set me on this whole path of looking at it. But then along the way, I also sort of brought in a whole lot of little. Household dramas and neighborhood adventures and things that happen to me at home.
0: No, it's a, it's a really beautifully put together. How's your wisteria?
1: I've had to plant a new one because I accidentally murdered the old one. Right. <laughs> Although I do, I do see it, it is sending up suckers, you know, which is the worst of everything because the whole tree died, but now I've got all these annoying little suckers pop, popping up everywhere. But I mean, I say I murdered it. That's because. That's what my husband's theory is. Yes. Um, but it, it may have died of natural causes, Kevin. It's quite possible.
0: Detective Superintendent uh, Suda has said that uh, you definitely <laughs> – you, weren't you, were you spraying the, um, like the the pathway around it and that's, that's what uh, – I was, of... uh,
1: yeah. I had a very bad case of mold and it was sort of on the paving and it was quite slippery and everything, so I did use something, a chemical, um, I'm ashamed to admit. That may have been the cause, but it could have just been root rot as well. Yes, in my (laughs) defence,
0: yes, fair enough. Is there a is there a follow up already in your head, sort of planning for this one, or is is this is this year done?
1: I think I think this is done. Although you know, news stories do occur to me because little things keep you know, little things happen to you, and or little issues come up, and you think, oh yeah, that's right about that. So I may you know I may do some more because they're fun to do, and people seem to enjoy them. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a a a biography or something like that if I can find the right subject. So. That may be my next thing.
0: Maybe Martha Stewart. One of my favourite lines in the book is you describing Martha Stewart as a gift to the prison laundry. I I found that hysterically (laughs) funny.
1: Yeah, well, that was in my how to fold a towel one. Yeah, well, she must have been, wouldn't she? She'd just go in there. She'd have all these talents. I mean, I do think it was a bit unfair that she got jailed, to be honest. But. Because all these other people get away with far worse crimes than Martha Stewart could yeah. have been guilty
0: of. Absolutely. But
1: yes, I thought, what a, you know, they probably had her in the prison kitchen whipping up a few muffins and doing things.
0: You would have thought so. Uh, look, it's, it's, it's a lovely read. It's a, it, it puts a smile on your face and makes you think about a lot of things uh, like the Chocos made me remember them on, on the outside dunny. But really, really nicely put together book. Well done. Congratulations. It's a great read.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin.
0: Well, thanks to Fenella. It is a fun book. It's uh, got some great tips in it. As you heard, a terrific tip there just at the end. Uh, It's out through Alan and Unwin now, How to Fake Being Tidy and Other Things My Mother Never Taught Me. Uh, We've got uh, more coming up on the Authorised Podcast. Hope you can join me for the next edition. And, of course, thanks to our great friends at CSCG. You'll get total peace of mind when you deal with CSCG because they know what they're talking about. They've seen uh, the pitfalls. They know uh, the advantages. They know the disadvantages. They know the playing field 100%. So give them a call, 03 or, of course, uh, if you uh, can't uh, jump on and have a chat with them, jump on the website and have a look, cscg.com.au, whether it's accounting, taxation situations, whatever it is, they're the people to talk to. Oh three double nine seven four eight triple three. Until the next time uh, I talk to you on the Authorized Podcast, go out and read another book. Good fun, books. Talk to you soon.